Hello everyone, I'm Caroline Nickerson and I'm one of the co-hosts for the Citizen Science Podcast. This episode we get to chat with the Coastal Observation and Seabird Survey Team, our COAST for short. COAST is a network of citizen scientists that monitor marine resources and ecosystem health at over 400 beaches across Northern California, Oregon, Washington State, and Alaska, with the COAST team working to translate long-term monitoring into effective marine conservation solutions. I chat with Dee Ritchie, a citizen scientist who volunteers with COAST, and Hilary Burgess, the science coordinator for COAST. Don't live on the West Coast? No problem. We talk about the different ways anyone can get involved in citizen science relating to marine ecosystem health. Without further ado, let's get to it. We have Hillary Burgess and Dee Ritchie on the line. Hillary is the science coordinator for Coast, and Dee Ritchie is a citizen scientist. I'm Caroline Nickerson. I'm the co-host of this podcast, and I'm with the SciStarter team. So I thought we'd start with some brief introductions. Hillary and Dee, could you just say who you are, what your background is, and what you do at Coast? Hillary, do you want to get us started? Sure. My name's yeah, Hillary Burgess. I have a background actually in plant ecology and citizen science, but I got my marine science feet wet through working at Coast, the Coastal Observation and Seabird Survey team. As the science coordinator, I mostly, I work with external partners to ensure that the data that our team collects is useful and used by resource management agencies and, and other kind of partner organizations. And then I also get to do trainings, which involves traveling up and down the coast from the far northern reaches of Alaska to central California and meeting with members of coastal communities who are interested in monitoring their beaches for the things that we look at and teaching them how to do it. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. And then Dee, you're a citizen scientist, is that right? That's right. I'm actually a real scientist too. I'm I'm an organic chemist by training. And my last gig was a systems engineer at Bechtel Corporation. But I'm sort of, I hate to use the word retired, (laughs) but that's what I am. And I I spend a lot of time growing organic vegetables now. With a, a couple of friends who trained with me up here in Hansville, Washington, uh, we survey the point, no point lighthouse beach area for uh, small and medium debris. We catalog it and um, report it. And we've been doing this for a little over half a year now and just loving it. Great. And Hillary, you mentioned that you'd been involved in different facets of science before Coast. Was Coast your first foray into citizen science? It wasn't. As a graduate student here at the University of Washington, I knew that I wanted to get involved in citizen science. I had learned about it working in a botanic garden in Miami before coming to graduate school with an example of people in the Miami area who were monitoring the larvae of an imperiled butterfly species called the Atala butterfly. And they were able to track that in places where the host plant which is a small cycad, was grown in people's home gardens, the butterfly was coming back and and they were able to actually track that over these peninsulas that were otherwise isolated and see the butterfly recover from the mainland area out into these peninsulas and, and islands. So that was a really powerful kind of story of 
how stewardship and observations came together to have a positive conservation impact. And so that was super inspiring to me. And the idea that the public and science and conservation organizations could work together to be something greater than the sum of their parts just really got me going. <laughs> so when I was a student here, I knew I wanted to do citizen science. And so in order to do that, I created a project just to get the experience of what's involved in developing an idea, working iteratively, like through trial and error with volunteers to figure out what they want to do or willing to do, can do reliably, and how to support them in being successful to do that. And so I looked at pollinators in residential gardens in Snohomish County of Washington State. So that was my first foray into citizen science. And around that time, I met our executive director, Julia Parrish, who is kind of a citizen science foremother of the field and started working with her on some projects and then weaseled my way into Coast when I graduated. Awesome. So you mentioned that Julia Parrish got Coast started and brought you on board. How long have you been with Coast? Since 2013. So a little over five years, actually. I was brought on specifically to develop the marine debris piece that we're now studying and that Dee is a part of. And Dee, how did you get started with Coast? I guess where I got started, uh, a couple of years ago, there was a huge spill of some garbage scow or something uh, dumped a load into the Sailor Sea, and the beaches were just shockingly littered with all kinds of trash. One day, I, I pulled in more than 20 pounds of stuff just on a casual beach walk. I was appalled, so decided then to form a team of trash collectors. But because of the laws in this state, the beach residents also own the beach out to the tideline. And some of them strenuously objected to random people on their property picking up trash. <laughs> and at the time, I really couldn't believe this was happening. So I obviously had to retreat and trust that property owners would clean up their own places. But then one day, I saw something in one of my multiple news feeds about Coast, and I hopped onto their website and signed up immediately. And so now, I think I've gone off the track a little of what you asked, but what we do, our team, every month when the tides cooperate and the weather <laughs> cooperates, we go out on a very planned, organized survey of our designated beach here in Hansville. We had several beaches to choose from and several things that we could sort of concentrate on. And uh, because we're a small team, three people, we chose the small debris and the medium debris. And there are several other categories with other teams doing those kinds of surveys for those types of debris. We observe any major changes in the beach, and we observe um, very specific little areas. We have very scientific procedure and tools uh, for looking for specific kinds of stuff that nature did not give us <laughs> that's washed up. 
it's fascinating the kinds of things that we find on the beaches, <laughs> all the way from spent shotgun shells to tampon cases, for crying out loud. It's just everything you can possibly imagine gets washed up from somewhere. Now that we've done our introductions, Hillary, when people ask you what coast is, how do you usually reply? I say it is a network of professional scientists, individuals who live in coastal communities, resource management agency personnel, and community organizations who work together to monitor coastal ecosystem health through Beach walks, standardized beach walks where folks essentially adopt a segment of beach and monitor it for one of several different indicators that we track. Our long-term program, what we originated with is beach cast seabirds. And more recently, and the program that D is a part of, it monitors for marine debris or marine litter. And in both cases, we're looking for long-term patterns and how they differ in time and space and seasonally, and what that tells us about what's happening in the coastal environment. If you were going to distill the questions that you think Coast is trying to ask, what would those questions be? For marine debris, the question is where and when and how much (laughs) The worst bad stuff washes up. So if we can identify the locations and trace that back to source of the most potentially harmful plastics in the environment, then we can prioritize prevention that's going to have a great impact. For beached birds, it's what's the normal pattern over time, is it changing and monitoring and identifying change against that normal pattern? So what does a seabird die-off tell us about the marine ecosystem as a whole? That's really fascinating. So for beach birds, people are answering that question by walking down the beach and trying to identify how many birds have died in that area of the beach. Is that right? Exactly. Yep. They take some measurements of the birds and they identify them to species and take a photograph. And then on our end, we independently verify that identification and it goes into this data set that because it has existed for 20 years or so, we actually have identified what the normal pattern is, like what birds we expect to see, when and where, how many of them. So there are certain species that wash in normally at certain times of the year in certain places. That's a natural phenomenon associated with their natural history. So after breeding for locally breeding birds, they get tired. Sometimes the young of the year don't always make it. Uh, And then the adults, you know, it takes a lot of energy to raise a chick. So that's a time when we expect to see those species wash up. But if we see that species at a different time of year or a different species at that time or way more than we would normally expect, then that tips us off to, okay, something unusual is going on. This is something to look into more deeply and connect with other scientists who are studying other parts of the ecosystem and put the puzzle pieces together. Got it. And with marine debris volunteers, do you kind of do the same thing where they're cataloging, taking pictures? Dee, did you ever actually send the debris to the coast people when you collected it? 
not normally. Part of our training was to teach us how to describe and categorize the things we find, the individual pieces, what material they're made of, what color they are, you know, basically looking at characteristics of a piece of trash that might attract an animal in terms of maybe this is food, let's take a peck at it. So all of those kinds of things, plus we look at any um, logos or barcodes or any of that sort of stuff we find that would allow a positive identification of the item and possibly even its source. The training we receive and the documents that we complete are very specific where we find that, which band on the beach, whether it's the rack zone or the surf zone or the wood zone, where we find it, how big it is, what color it is, is it sharp, is it shiny, all these kinds of categories so that the Coast team will be able to put that into their whole data collection summary. So occasionally there'll be an object that we find that's so interesting or unusual, or we just don't know what the heck it is that we might send it in. But usually a photograph is enough to you know, help the base team figure out what it is we've actually found. So with Coast, and maybe Hillary, you can answer this, with the marine debris and with the bird aspects, do people usually do them both at the same time? Or do you recommend that people just pick one and participate in just that one? That's a great question. They can do them on the same beach on the same day. And we do have folks that do that. But as far as at the exact same time, because the procedure is different and sort of the search pattern is different, like looking for a dead bird on a beach is different from looking for plastic. We ask those activities to be separated so that the effort is equal and comparable from survey to survey. Places where there aren't very many birds and there isn't that much trash on the beach, it's fairly doable, but each module is is its own pretty significant commitment. So if you are on a trashy beach or a particularly birdy beach, then folks tend to kind of stick to one thing or the other. Do people tend to find the birds when they do this? Um, Where I'm from, um, on Florida beaches, I think it'd be pretty strange to encounter even one dead bird on a regular beach visit. You know, I was surprised when I started working for Coast by how normal it is in some places. So in the Puget Sound, so inside waters of, of Washington, the typical survey would be a zero. We expect not to find any birds most of the time. But in, let's say, the outer coast of Washington and Oregon in the wintertime or late summer, early fall, right after the common muir breeding season, it wouldn't be weird to find 20 birds in a kilometer. But again, it's a particular species at a particular time of the year associated with a natural part of their life cycle. That makes sense. So for those beaches where you don't usually find that many birds or you typically don't find that much debris, do you still encourage volunteers to do the surveys there or do they do the process elsewhere? Totally. As I mentioned, the whole point of COAST, the underpinning piece is discovering pattern and then asking what causes that pattern and zeros. That's an essential part of the pattern. We need to know where there isn't stuff in order to compare that to places where there is. 
And in order to identify that there are places that are sort of hot spots and relative to low spots and or cool spots and why those highs and lows exist. What is the training process like for people who want to volunteer with COAST? Well, I think it's fair to say that COAST is pretty rigorous on the whole. And I think from Dee's description, you may have gathered that the process of collecting data and following this protocol is a significant commitment. So we want to attract and retain the kinds of folks who are willing to do that and who are going to do it well. And of course, we also want to equip them with the tools that will be necessary to be successful in doing that. And so the training is essential for doing that. So one of three staff members will come to a community and host this five-hour training that has a mix of background information about marine science and oceanography and marine debris, what we know about it, what we're trying to learn about it, and then the hands-on practice of how to survey the beach and what information we're recording and, and why. And then they select a beach of within their community. Often it's a beach that they walk regularly anyway or have some sort of attachment to. The ask on our end is to go out at least once a month and follow the survey procedure, take photos, and send us all of that information. Do you do that training on purpose to screen out people who wouldn't be as dedicated or who wouldn't commit to going once a month with the team to follow marine debris or birds? It's not designed to weed people out per se, but I think that there's some self-selecting that happens where if you're not willing to, you know, interested in practicing cataloging marine debris for five hours, then you're probably not going to be interested in doing that in windy, misty conditions out on the beach for a couple of hours. So it tends to attract a certain level of commitment and curiosity within a person. Certainly, it's different than, you know, designing a program where the goal is to get as many different people involved as possible. Awesome. Um, So maybe we can switch gears for a second and talk about research outcomes and the goals of COAST. Hillary, could you give some insight and maybe describe the research outcomes you've observed so far? So as with any sort of long-term monitoring program, it takes time to discover patterns and we're not like a hypothesis driven research project we are a baseline data collection project so for our beach birds which has been going since 1999 there have been an incredible diversity of different kinds of outcomes most recently there have been a lot of mass mortality events of seabirds and because we have this long-term data set and an understanding of what the normal background pattern of beaching of birds is, we know exactly how abnormal these mass mortality events are. And that has led to a lot of interest and action among the resource management agencies who are responding to a concerned constituency about why are these birds dying? What does it mean? for marine ecosystems. And it's an indicator of the impacts of warmer than normal sea surface temperatures, so ocean warming. And then there've been also other totally unanticipated 
outcomes. So the seabird monitoring program was established to figure out what's normal as far as the pattern of birds washing in and then measure change against that with an eye towards oil spills. And in the 20 years since the program started, we haven't had really any significant oil spills, but we've had these other seabird die-offs and, and other sorts of events that have spawned appreciation for the fact that this data set exists. Some unanticipated uses include comparing current trends in birds washing in to indigenous civilization middens and seabird bones that were found in these basically trash piles of civilizations that lived before us on the beach in coastal areas and whether or not the species and abundances and body parts are the same now and then and what that tells us about the choices they were making about what to eat. So archaeology, who expected that? And for marine debris, our goal is so there is no normal pattern. There's no natural pattern to marine debris washing up, but there is a baseline that we're trying to uncover. So how much do we expect to see washing up when and where and what kinds of things and what drives that pattern? And then how does it change over time in response to things like policy implementations bag bans, deposit legislation, things like that. And then can we identify patterns that indicate sources that we can act upon too? So if we find that certain places accumulate certain kinds of things, we can trace that back to their origins. And especially if they're potentially really harmful types of plastic in the environment, prioritize preventative measures for those things. Both cases are looking at big picture patterns and exploring those patterns uh, for conservation and resource management actions. So on your website, it says that COAST works to translate long-term monitoring to effective marine conservation solutions. So I was wondering, with um, marine debris especially, have you seen um, any of that so far? Um, or have you unveiled any recommendations of conservation solutions based on what volunteers like D have collected? That's an awesome question. And I have hope and faith that we will get there because the marine debris program is so new and uncovering patterns takes a lot of data and a lot of time. We're not there yet. So we're just starting to be able to explore the data set for those kinds of things after about three years of data collection. But it's a mix of we need time, so data over time, but also enough data within space in order to see if one place is different from another. That's where a lot of our efforts toward recruitment and retention of data collection is so important because in order to see those outcomes, we need a lot of folks engaged and collecting this important data. Would you say that most of your volunteers are like D, who work with you for years? So our year-over-year -year retention is pretty high. It's over 50%. Once you come in the door and attend a training, your likelihood of going on to do surveys is something around 70%. And once you actually have done a survey, you're 
likely to continue serving. We also try to have a lot of personal communication to the extent that we can with folks who participate and provide them individualized support as best we can. That makes a lot of sense. So Dee, I think you've talked about this already, but I thought I, we could come back to it just one more time and you've done a great job of explaining it, but what's kept you coming back? What keeps you participating with Coast? Well, that's, uh, that's a hard one. There's so many things. <laughs> First of all, I, I love being outdoors, especially on the beach. Our beaches are beautiful up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's just an amazing place to live and be. But what keeps me coming back, I'm also a climate change activist, and um, everything, everything is connected to everything else. So what's happening with climate change and all is affecting what's happening in the oceans and all the waterways. And I'm deeply interested in that with the warming of the waters and the lowering of the pH. It all affects how critters can exist out there. And then on top of that, we're throwing in all kinds of tons and tons of plastic stuff. And most people are just kind of unaware how much junk is in the ocean and how all of these animals are eating it or getting tangled up in it or suffocating or all these things that are happening are of deep interest to me because the path we're on does not lead to a happy place. So any little thing that I can do to increase awareness or to increase the science of what we're studying or to just further any of these efforts to help us understand, predict, and maybe change the course of life on earth is something I want to be involved in. So combine that with my two good friends that uh, we meet for breakfast early in the morning on our coast survey days, and we have a big hot chocolate, and we plan the survey, and we go out, and we do it, and we collect, and we come back, and we write our report, and we look at all these strange objects. What is this thing we found, and where could it possibly have come from? And we turn all that over to the coast folks for them to figure out you know, among lots of other things, is what's the source of this thing? And how can we prevent that kind of thing from getting back into the water? So it's rewarding, it's fun, it's incredibly satisfying experience to be a, a citizen scientist, especially working on a project as fascinating and important as the Coast Project is. That's great. What are some things that have surprised you about these walks? Any surprising findings? Well, with our beach up here at Point No Point, what has been so far the biggest surprise is after all that trash that I found a couple of years back from the accidental tip over of a garbage scow or something, our beaches are incredibly clean. We are hard pressed to find debris. Sometimes, you know, there's a lot more than other times, and sometimes we find completely unexpected things like major parts of ancient 
shipwrecks that wash up all the way down to just beach glass and little plastic nurdles. A nurdle is a plastic bit. It's like usually polyethylene or something that comes in these huge 50-pound sacks. It's raw material for the plastics industry, but we find the bits and pieces. So it's fun. It's great exercise, and we feel like we're contributing to something bigger and something very important. And when we encounter other beach walkers, they're very curious because we're carrying around this equipment and we've got all these orange flags and these little measuring things. And they come up to us and say, what the heck are you guys doing? And it gives us an opportunity to explain why we're there and to give them a little handout about the Coast Project. It's really fun and and very rewarding. So you mentioned that you do um, once a month for your walks. Because you have to go with a team, would it be too difficult to coordinate to go more often? It wouldn't be too difficult. Well, let me take that back. We are three on our team right now, plus um, we invite other folks who aren't trained to join us so they can see what it's like and um, how we work together. But scheduling the three of us can be a challenge But also, we have to work with the tides and with the weather. We have huge tides here sometimes, the king tides in the wintertime. And there was a whole month that we could not physically get to the beach, (laughs) for example. But ordinarily, it's no problem. And yes, we could do it more often. And um, we may when uh, conditions are a little bit more clement, (laughs) shall we say. You've been doing the birds process for a really long time, and more recently, you've added the marine debris. Hillary, do you think that um, you all will add in other fields, or do you think you're probably going to stick with these two? You know, what washes into the beach is a window into what's happening out in the ocean, and especially in the near coastal environment. So there's definitely potential in any number of directions. We are interested in, and we've started also collecting information about beached marine mammals. So there's an existing network called the Marine Mammal Stranding Network that studies and and necropsies beached marine mammals that are reported by the public. But that information doesn't lend itself to a long-term baseline that includes zeros, as I was talking about with the way we think about beached birds. And one piece of that I haven't described for the beached bird program is that Folks have a specialized key or guide to identification for beach birds. So it's like a Sibley's bird identification book, but for dead birds, it's kind of a choose your own adventure to get to an identification. And we're looking at developing something like that for beach marine mammals along the West Coast. We've looked at sea star wasting, although there are other organizations looking at that too. We've had people ask us if we could study squid washing up. I mean, anything that washes up on the beach is fair game. And I don't see us going beyond what can be collected on a specialized beach walk. And do you ever see the project expanding beyond coast? Would you ever want to be on the East Coast, for example? Or do you think you're just going to focus on recruiting volunteers in the areas you're already in? I think that we would be open to franchising, <laughs> if that makes sense. But I don't quite, I, uh, the scalability for the model of citizen science that Coast is, which is 
the pretty intensive personalized training in person and interaction over email and over phone and location specific kinds of data stories and communications means that you really need folks who live within the communities and have easy access and understanding of what's happening to kind of be that interface. And if, if we were to grow massively, we would lose that personal touch. So I don't think it's impossible, but our goal is more to enrich in what we're doing here than to take over the world geographically. <laughs> That makes sense. To quickly go back to the community engagement side of things, I was wondering, so let's say someone who listens to this podcast, they live on the West Coast, maybe they live in the Pacific Northwest, in Oregon, for example, and they want to get involved. What do you both recommend that they do? Should they sign up for a training right away? Where do you all match them with the team they would go out with? I'll take this one real quick first, and then, and then Dee, if you have anything to add. So going to our website, Coast, which is C-O-A-S-S-T dot O-R-G. We have a calendar of training events. And so you can look and see if there is a training coming up in a place near you. And if there's not, you can reach out to us and say, hey, I'm interested. Keep me posted when there is something in my area. We will respond to demand as well. So if there's several folks who have expressed interest in a particular area, then we can work with them to bring a training to that area. But in the meantime, we do play matchmaker for folks who are interested in going out and just trying it out, seeing what it's all about with active teams in their area who are willing to take novice folks out under their wing and show them the ropes. And Dee alluded to the fact that she and her team are one of those potential folks in the Hansville area. Great. And Dee, it seems like you've taken a few novices under your wing, no pun intended, and showed them how Coast works. It's fun for us. And um, it can be fairly strenuous to be on a beach for one and a half kilometers, pacing along in a rapid clip. And um, having an extra hand is also very helpful. So just to tag on to Hillary's comments, Coast does have an excellent website. It's easy to access. It's fun to read. And I definitely suggest anybody who's even remotely interested in a project like this to go there first and read the About Us part, read the Coast stories, check out the blog. Anybody with a passion for marine and coastal life who enjoys brisk walks on beautiful beaches with a purpose would enjoy becoming a Coast volunteer. I'm certain of it training is excellent. All the supplies are provided. And um, of course, anybody who would like to see firsthand what we do is more than welcome to join us on our surveys. It's rewarding, it's fun, very satisfying experience to be a, a citizen scientist, especially with this particular group. So you have all these deeper motivations about marine conservation that make you want to participate and contribute to the science. So Hillary, what would you recommend to people who don't live on the West Coast about getting involved in this type of work? Someone who has the same passions that Dee has. Is there a way they can help Coast? Are there other projects that you can recommend for them? Oh yeah, definitely. The NOAA Marine Debris Program also has a monitoring effort. They're after some slightly different questions less oriented towards sourcing and the we also look at the environmental impacts of items 
but thereafter types and quantities and how that's changing over time. And they are a national and including Great Lakes monitoring program. It's really great. So I would recommend them for seabirds. CNET on the East Coast does beach bird monitoring and in Central and Southern California, Beach Combers and Beach Watch are beach bird monitoring programs as well. Great. So is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet? Are any other points that you both want to cover and communicate to the people who are listening to this podcast? Well, one thing that I find that's so important with this project and, and others regarding citizen scientists is Science is not something that a lot of people are paying attention to as much as I think they should, especially as a scientist speaking to you. Public awareness of what can go wrong, what is going wrong, how we can make it right, any kind of outreach that we can do just to to further folks' understanding of some basic scientific things is massively important in my book. I would totally echo Dee's thoughts there and add that citizen science, it's an incredible opportunity both for that education, that kind of learning and contributing to science that couldn't really happen in any other way. One of the things that I find most inspiring in COAST is when we meet teams that are intergenerational. So maybe a parent's going out with their kids or the kid inspired getting involved in COAST and is really taking their parent out to do these beach walks or grandparents, parents and grandchildren. I, I think that it would be really cool to see citizen science become a family activity around the world. That's amazing. Just the idea of connecting people through learning about and studying and taking care of our world makes me so happy. Thank you so much to you both for all you do. One question we always ask at the close of the show is, are there any guests we should have on or any topics we should focus on in future episodes? If I could just jump in there, I do have one uh, subject that you might want to tackle. People don't understand the connection between um, increasing carbon dioxide levels in our atmosphere to the troubles we're seeing in the oceans regarding increasing acidity and increasing heat. The uh, ocean is a tremendous heat sink. It absorbs so much of the excess heat that's building up, but it also absorbs an awful lot of carbon dioxide, and that makes the ocean more acidic. And what that does is prevents shellfish from being able to form a shell because the stuff that their shells are made of dissolves in acidic water. Things like that. It would be really interesting to hear a podcast about what is affecting the ocean that's creating problems for the life that has evolved for millions of years to live in a certain kind of ocean environment that we're changing. I would add on that there are citizen science opportunities related to the topic that Dee is so passionate about. Muscle Watch, which looks at contaminants and I think is also starting to look at shell thickness in muscles and how that relates to ocean acidification. 
So looking at ocean acidification at NOAA.gov would be a starting point for folks that are interested also in that topic. On that note, thank you again to you both for your involvement in citizen science and doing that work and advancing the field. I hope that you continue to have great walks on the beach and you make some great discoveries and keep on doing your research. Thanks again. Thanks so much for inviting me. Thank you so much, both of you. (laughs) Galvanize to take action. Regardless of where you live, if you're by the sea or not, we know you can use citizen scientists to help us better understand ecological problems and propose conservation solutions. And with Coast, it's clear from this conversation that you can dive right into citizen science. Citizen Science is produced by Caroline Nickerson and Justin Shell in association with SciStarter. Music for this episode is from Smile For Me, Son by Adam and Alma, used under a Creative Commons license via the Free Music Archive. To learn more about our show, get a transcript of this episode, and listen to previous episodes, please visit SciStarter.org forward slash podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback on what we've done so far and your ideas for what we could do in the future. Send us a note at info at If you like the show, please rate or review us on your podcast platform of choice or simply send it to a friend. We'll be back in a few weeks with a new episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you then.